Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. From London, I'm John Weeks and this is The Standard. Please note this podcast does contain some strong language. In 2050, our grandchildren won't be asking what we said. They will be living with the consequences of what we did or didn't do. King Charles has issued a rallying cry to save the planet to world leaders at COP28. In his opening speech, he made reference to the extreme weather events we've seen this year. Wildfires in Canada, droughts in East Africa and flooding in India and called on the powers that be to take notice of the dangerous feedback loops climate scientists have been warning about for decades. Records are now being broken so often that we are perhaps becoming immune to what they are really telling us. When we see the news... That this last Northern Hemisphere summer, for instance, was the warmest global average temperature on record. We need to pause to process what this actually means. The King also said between $4.5 and $5 trillion are needed each year to drive the transformation we need, and ended his speech with these words. The Earth does not belong to us. We belong to the Earth. His opening speech came with the backdrop of the saga around Omid Scobie's new book about the royals. But it appears King Charles is focused on his lifelong mission to raise awareness of climate change and the harm it's causing to the natural world. Joining me now from the COP28 conference in Dubai is our royal editor, Robert Jobson. So, Rob, you are at COP28 in Dubai. King Charles made his speech earlier today. First of all, how is his speech being perceived by people at the event? Well, King Charles is a very well-respected man in this part of the world. He has very good contacts in the Middle East amongst the royal families in the UAE and and Saudi and Bahrain, all of these places. He's a very well-respected man for his work as the Prince of Wales. So obviously in this part of the world, because he was invited by the royal family to speak here, um, he's respected, he has a voice, and he's seen as very much as a a statesman who should be listened to, particularly on areas such as sustainability and climate change, as he was a pioneer in this field. And what did you make of his speech personally, Rob, in terms of the the warnings, really, he made to the people at the conference? Well, the the king has been making these warnings for 50 years when he was seen as a bit of a fruitcake many years ago. 
when the people said that he was sort of mad or you know just talking to plants and things like this. They completely misinterpreted and and, and misunderstood what, what this great um, man was talking about, or even back then, because it was easier to mock when somebody's speaking outside the established line than to actually research it and understand what they're trying to say. But over the years, I think you'll find the big business now, everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet. The hymn sheet he pretty much wrote. And do we know what the King will be doing now, either at COP28 this week or otherwise in his environmental work? What's sort of next on his schedule, do you know? Well, look, the King has been in and out in 48 hours. He was invited to be one of the three speakers to open the conference. He flew in, he met and did a number of very important bilateral meetings with senior Muslim leaders. And then he left and he's actually on his way back to Britain as we speak. And of course, there is this whole Omid Scobie book saga happening in the background. Do you think that will have been on the King's mind today? No, not at all. The man has to focus on the big issues, not a load of nonsense. Well, frankly, bollocks has been written by Omid Scobie, who frankly has written a book that doesn't really warrant the attention it's getting. I've read the book. It's quite complimentary to me, frankly. Who cares? The bottom line is... Do we believe that the king is a racist? <laughs> Perhaps if Mr Scobie spent less time promoting himself and more time actually covering the royal family, he'd see that, of course, the king is not a racist. His speech that he get, talked about the, the natural world and the importance of indigenous people, does that sound like a racist? doesn't sound like a racist to me. And as for calling Catherine, the Princess of Wales, a racist, perhaps instead of just you know, sitting in his ivory tower, Mr Scobie ought to go out and see how wonderfully well-received Catherine is in amongst communities, black, white, Asian, whatever they are, and actually watch with his own eyes how she interacts with people. She's not a racist. In fact, I think what he's doing in siding himself with the Harry and Meghan camp and the way he's speaking about our royal family is a disgrace, in my opinion. So I think Mr. Scobie ought to stop casting aspersions and actually start looking at what the royal family does in communities, black, Asian, white, whatever, and actually write about that rather than this god-awful book that he's written. And I've written 18 books, so I don't like criticising other people's books. But these are serious allegations about racism. Racism, to be accused of it, is pretty appalling. And to accuse a man that has done more for communities across this country, across the Commonwealth, of racism is a disgrace. And then to pick on someone like Catherine, knowing she can't answer back, is even a bigger disgrace. So I think Mr Scobie really... You know, rather than just worrying about his own personal fame and he's filling his lining his pockets with money, should frankly be, hang his head in shame. And actually, if he wants to be a journalist, be a journalist. Go out and watch what they do, rather than cast aspersions to win favour with Meghan Markle or the Duchess of Sussex or whatever she likes to call herself. And Omid Scobie himself has denied naming any members of the royal family, claiming it was a translation error. For King Charles, though, as you mentioned, he would have been focused on his work, as he always is. What do you think his ultimate goal or aim is from COP28? Well, uh, remember, he was pretty much banned by that short-lived Prime Minister Liz Truss from attending COP27 in Egypt, much to his chagrin. I don't think she even told him that he wasn't allowed to go because it would be a, uh, she felt it was a conflict of interest. God alone only knows why, but thankfully she was only imposed a very short time. And then this next unelected prime minister we got, Rishi Sunak, bowed down and said, OK, you can, do, you can do it. Quite right, he should be allowed to speak as a king at this COP28 conference. 
He was invited to speak and he spoke, I think, with eloquence and with meaning and with passion. What is he trying to achieve? It's quite simple. He wants to try to save the planet that was and is on a course of self-destruction. Unless we start doing something about it now, not in a week's time, not in 20 years' time, not in 30 years' time. We're at the precipice now and action needs to be taken. But more important than that, behind the scenes, he would have met with some very senior people from countries in this region, which, of course, is dogged by what is just an appalling conflict with the rising tensions in the Gaza region where women and children are being slaughtered on both sides. And as as any right-thinking man would want, he wants peace, he wants tensions to be reduced, he wants interfaith dialogue to happen, all the things that he's been promoting all of his life. Let's take a break now. Coming up in part two, our political editor Nicola Cecil discusses the King's landmark speech and whether world leaders will take note of his warnings. Political leaders are just very, very reluctant to tell their voters that that there is a cost to dealing with climate change. Joining me now is our political editor, Nicholas Cecil. So, Nick, obviously a, a big speech, a big opportunity for King Charles doing the opening speech of COP28. First of all, what did you make of what he actually said? Well, actually, it was a, a very powerful speech from the king. Obviously, the king has been campaigning on the environment and protecting nature for decades. So he'd been well ahead of his time. Many, many years ago, kind of people used to criticise him, or some people did, but it turns out that actually his warnings are, are now turning out to have been very, very valid. So some key points he's been stressing is that basically he's saying that the world remains, in his words, dreadfully far off track in terms of meeting key net zero targets and addressing global warming. And he was really making the point that, again, in his words, that the earth does not belong to us. We belong to the world. So he's saying we don't have permission to destroy the world. It's for our children and their children for future generations. Therefore, we, we really do need to protect it. And again, just quoting the king, he said, in 2050, our grandchildren won't be asking what we said. They'll be living with the consequences of what we did or didn't do. That's it. He made some really poignant quotes like that, didn't he? He also talked about how he's made speeches like this before he referenced COP21. Was there anything new or different about this speech from the king this time? Well, I think he was stressing the urgency now because we have these COPs year after year, but every year world leaders fail to take sufficient action to deal with global warming. And we are now seeing the stark consequences of that with wildfires and devastating floods happening more and more frequently. So Previously, there, I think there was a debate about is climate change happening? But I think that debate for the vast, vast majority of people now is over because we can actually see these signs for ourselves. So it's not just some scientists coming up with some facts and figures. If you've seen flames destroying holiday islands and dreadful floods in many communities, kind of the debate on global warming is really over for most people. So he he was very much stressing the urgency and saying this should be a turning point, this summit. But we've seen and heard this language before uh, from world leaders and and still not enough happens. And one of the things that surprised me is that the figure that he gave 
in terms of the money that's needed each year to drive the transformation we need. 4.5 to $5 trillion a year. What did you make of that? And also what he said about sort of getting investment from sort of public and private sector? I think that there are costs, but there are also opportunities. And um, certainly this is the case that many people in Britain have been making, that actually, if you get ahead in the race to go green, then you can sell your technologies and you can be a capitalist and make money out of this. There's also a slight altruistic uh, fact in this as well, because actually for the world to actually deal with climate change, then you need these these new technologies and, and ways of producing energy to be spread around the globe very quickly. So if Britain can kind of very much keep up its lead as a world leader in offshore wind power, then we can basically sell that to the world and show the world how that's done. And we can learn, for example, on solar technology from other countries, even though we have less sun, obviously, than many other countries in the South. Do you think there was anything in this speech, Nick, that could spur the powers that be on to take the climate crisis more seriously? I think what will ultimately do that is the reality on the ground, because political leaders are just very, very reluctant to tell their voters that, that there is a cost to dealing with climate change, very much like kind of they've been reluctant to tell voters that there's a cost to dealing with Putin's invasion of Ukraine. People are allowed to pretend that we can carry on living like, like we have been for many years, when actually when you have these seismic political economic events, then they have an impact on our living, living standards and, and, and our way of life. And the other key figure from the UK, of course, Nick, is Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who's at COP28. He's doing his own speech. What do you think he'll hope to take away from that event? Well, I think he'll be seeking to show that Britain is still a world leader in tackling global warming. Britain certainly was very much at the forefront of the battle against climate change. But there's now a big question about whether that reputation is being tarnished by some of the actions of the government. So basically, that we've had a few recent change of tack, including delaying the ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by five years until 2035 and also scaling back action to phase out gas boilers. So there's been some concrete measures where the government has watered down climate change action. The government insists that it will still meet the 2050 net zero target. But now even its own climate change watchdog has warned that its reputation as a global leader on tackling climate change is in danger of being lost basically because of steps being taken by the government. The government argues that you've got to take the public with you on the steps towards dealing with climate change. And if they end up having to pay too much money to pay for new boilers, new cars and so on, then they will not be up for this fight. This morning, we also had the Net Zero Secretary, Claire Coutinho, even saying that on dealing with climate change, Britain's only in poster child, she said. Well, she said that this was a view around the world. Now, a lot of opposition MPs and some Conservatives would strongly disagree with that. There's more news, interviews and analysis in the Standard newspaper and at standard.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We're back on Monday afternoon at four o'clock. <laughs>